Rebuilding Your Life, Moving from Disaster to Prosperity with Susan Shereko, where we help you transform your life by changing what you're telling yourself. Whatever your circumstances, you can experience health, financial security, and a sense of well-being once again. And now, here's your host, Susan Shereko. On behalf of Rebuilding Your Life Radio and the Train Your Brain, Claim Your Power calls, welcome. Today, Chris Conrad is joining us. Chris is the author of Why Did Jesus Have to Die? It's Not What You Think. Chris earned his bachelor's degree from Colorado State University and his master's degree from Wichita State University in geology. He's taught math, science, and the Bible and has led Bible studies for the past 30 years. Please join me as we wave our hands to welcome Chris Conrad. Well, hello, Chris. Thank you very much for being available to talk about your book today. Uh, Susan, thank you very much. This is really pretty exciting, and uh, I'm just anxious and pleased to be here. Good. You know, your, your teaching assignments in geology have taken you to several places around the country, but where are you working now? Uh, currently, I am in south-central Utah, uh, pretty close to uh, the San Rafael Swell and uh, coal and uranium country. Coal and uranium, okay. And what what's involved in your work there? Um, well, we actually have a lot of things we do. We have oil and gas, uh, the different types of oil and gas. Uh, we have helium projects. We have gypsum projects. And like uh, already stated, we have uh, uranium, thorium, and and a lot of coal mining in and around uh, my my district. So about anything but gold and silver. I wish we had actually. I wish we had gold, silver, and diamonds, and then I'd be really happy. <laughs> You'd have it all. I love that. Pretty much. Um, so when we last spoke, your family was in Oregon and was going to be there through the holidays. And unfortunately, we've all been putting up with the realities of this virus that's going around. So did you get to go over there or were you unable to because of quarantine? Uh, I was I was quarantined. Uh, the governor of Oregon wanted to keep people from Utah out and said, in fact, it was like a week before Thanksgiving. And they said, no, you need to quarantine for two weeks before coming to Utah. And my family are in the, the health uh, health industry, and they were also saying, no, uh, stay stay home, Dad. <laughs> uh, oh, really? Uh, yeah. Stay home, be safe, yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a big question. I haven't seen my daughter probably in almost a year now because it the quarantine came in and she's up in Seattle, which was another hotbed. I'm here in Los Angeles, which is climbing precipitously now. We're about you know we are really going under again to full down shutdown, and it's it's just you just you just have to visit whatever way you can. You Zoom. Uh, we do. Um, that's and, and FaceTime. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, you, you, to get to your book, your, I read the jacket at first, and it says that you specialize in creation versus evolution issues, which sounds like your geology works right in there with your Bible studies. It does. It's interesting how I kind of got into that. Um, uh, as soon as I got into college, one of the first classes you take is uh, uh philosophy, and it seemed like they wanted to uh, do away with God right away, and so did my geology courses, and they wanted mm. to explain it explain it so that 
you didn't need to have a, a God or a creator. And it's always been kind of a source of, uh, I guess, contention. And as I've learned and studied, uh, there were so many things in nature, uh, in geology, that seemed to point the other way. So I've enjoyed having opportunities to do that. That's very interesting. You can actually see something in your geological work that that supports your the, your your belief in God. So, how did you how did you come to write this particular book, Chris? Well, uh, part of it comes from you. You go to different churches and you you study with different people, and being a uh, Oh, new in new in the world. I didn't want to uh, do it wrong. I I wanted to be correct, and so I I studied and studied and studied. And what I came up with just didn't seem to go with what I was being taught at some of the churches I was with. And I think they they missed uh, a major point uh, because they didn't look at some of the assumptions um, that. They, they dive into the book and they uh, start, start right up by saying they, they believe Jesus' death was like an appeasement. And then they spring forward with, with the rest of uh, how they explain, you know, why Jesus came, what he can do for us, and eventually, you know, why he had to die. But they start with that assumption that Jesus' death had to somehow appease God or um, uh, change our uh, change his opinion of us, and I think they have that backwards. Ah, okay. Well, that's that. There's there's something in your book what that was very important to, that that you wanted to convey, and I think that ties into what you're saying here. This reversal. What what is the what is so important that you needed to write this? Well, I, I think it really just changes. Uh, your total perspective of God. If if uh, we have to have Jesus' death changing God's mind so that he will love us, um, it makes God look uh, different than seeing him as um, the one who is wanting us to change our mind about him. Uh, a lot of the same stories can be told multiple ways in the Bible, but if you start off with a scary God, you're going to get a different picture of the story than if you come to it with a God who loves and admires and, and, and cares for you uh, so much that he would even come and die to, to prove something to you. You, you just uh, get a different picture of what God's like. Do you consider this a new theology? You know, yes and no. Um, I think it's okay. new and it's not it's not the uh, top very much. But I didn't learn this. I didn't come up with this all by myself. I've had uh, some other really good uh, teachers. Uh, one gentleman's his name is uh, Graham Maxwell. He's uh, he's passed a few years ago, but he's really good. And another another man who is living right now in Tennessee. His name is Tim Jennings, and I think. Um, he would see things uh, from pretty much the same perspective. Now, this is what we call, is this what we call the great controversy model? Yes, this is the great okay. controversy model. Basically what it does is it uh, puts the setting of the Bible in, um, uh, I guess, just in the setting of a war. 
rather than uh, reading Genesis 1 and God creating our world, and then we see uh, Adam and Eve and the fall in chapter 3 with no context around it, uh, the Bible actually suggests in many places, actually, that there was a war that predated our planet. And knowing knowing that the context is different, again, it brings a different perspective into everything you read, um, everything God has done, and, the, uh, again, why Jesus had to die, and it answers, answers different uh, uh, questions. Well, I, you set up a consideration in the, um, in, early on in the book that God has been seen as bad-tempered and untrustworthy throughout history. Um, but that, but your, your position is that it's incorrect. He loves us. He wants us to have free will. He wants us to understand that actions have consequences and he disciplines us just the way my father would have said, you know, you have to be disciplined because you have to learn to think before acting. Uh, is that is that basically the the theory that you're working on? That this the things that happen in the Bible, the stories are examples of this kind of discipline. Um, exactly, and you know, when you, especially if you talk to people who don't know the Bible well. And, uh, you know, they may have gone to church for a long time, but they may not have read the whole thing through. Or worse yet, you talk to some of my uh, geologist friends, they they just come up with the horrible stories that you hear about in the Old Testament. Uh, God flooding the world, uh, God killing 185 Assyrians, 185,000 Assyrians, excuse me, and uh, the destruction of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, and God shaking and thundering on Mount Sinai. They bring up these scary stories and say, well, that's what, if that's what God's like, I don't want to have anything to do with him. And um, if that were the whole story, they uh, wouldn't be wrong. It's just that you have to look closer, and, or when you look closer, you find that he really is a, a loving Heavenly Father just trying to meet us where we're at. And sometimes he does have to uh, shake and thunder to get our attention, uh, like he did on Mount Sinai. I have to admit, I had you you raised a question or a, a theory or a subject that I had never really thought about very seriously, which is how Satan when, went from being an angel to being cursed. And you know what what is it that Satan did that led to his being a fallen angel? So in a few places, Isaiah and Ezekiel, it's pretty plain that somehow um, he got a little too much of himself. Uh, it says that he swelled up in pride, that, that got the best of him. And I think just from the experience that we have, when, when people become too proud, they start putting other people down to keep themselves up. They uh, throw other people um, off, the, um, off the boat. And my guess is, not being able to actually see what happened, um, he, he went down that road, and uh, we could call it sin, but God told him, he said, you know, this isn't the way uh, this is going to work, and if you continue to go down this path, it's not going to go well. And like God told Adam and Eve in the garden, he said, if you sin, you will die. And you can see how this... Uh, uh, 
well, the direction of this conversation is going to go, how Satan would then respond. It's like, well, if I'm going to die, how's that going to happen? And if I'm going to die, does that mean you're going to do this? And uh, I can see um, a long debate as to what God meant. And uh, it really turned south. And as we can see now, thousands of years later, um, you know, Satan has had his way on this planet. And, um, you know, sin and all the other things that go on down here um, are are ugly. And God warned us in uh, in, in Genesis that if you go down that path, uh, it, you will die. Yeah, I, it struck me. I was I was doing some research this morning on this, and one of the comments that was made, you know, or was shown, was that Satan has been kept alive. He's a lot. He didn't get killed at that point when he was defying God. He did. He mm-hmm. wasn't destroyed in that sense. He was allowed to stay in communication for a period of time, um, and it is only. It's it's actually in a future event at some point that he would be thrown to earth to run things and to bring the great tribulation on us. And what struck me is, isn't that interesting? God didn't destroy him. What was it? What, what kind of a, you know, wrathful God would, would not have just, you know, chopped his head off and said, be done with you. And there's something in the relationship there that allows Satan to still exist. And I, so similar. So, um, (laughs) God brought that up to Adam and Eve, and a lot of people would think, so God told Adam and Eve, if you eat the fruit, if you go against my will, if you uh, reject me, you will die. And yet they, they did just that. They ate the fruit, and yet they didn't die. And in doing so, it looks as though God lied. Um, then if if that's true, then the rules and stuff that he gave would be, arbitrary, uh, capricious, uh, and that he was a liar. And and I can see these being the accusations given then. But in in the same vein, prior to this, uh, Satan probably went down that same road with that same conversation, and it looked just as bad in heaven. So when God told him, Satan, if you go down this road, you're going to die, and he didn't die, it's going to look like God was wrong, and it turned into this big, ugly war, uh, which eventually is being uh, fought down here on this planet, which is, you know, God wanted to fix this. He wanted to clarify it, and that's why he made our planet. The problem is Adam and Eve sided with Satan to begin with and really muddied the waters. And so how do you demonstrate this truth? And we end up, you know, over thousands of years, we get to see God acting with the people, you know, working with the people, the people rebelling. He's trying to get it to the point where uh, Jesus can come. He sets up the, the world in such a way that when he comes, he can really uh, have the attention of not just our world, but the world's looking on but they could see what Jesus really meant by when you sin, you will die. And we get to see Jesus actually go through that event um, in Garden of Gethsemane. He uh, accepts our sins, so to speak. Anyway, he's treated as though he's a sinner. 
And in the middle of the night, um, he would have died um, had not an angel come to, uh, to strengthen him. Um, he asked, Lord, uh, may this cup not uh, uh, be taken from me. And he did that three times. Uh, eventually, he is strengthened by an angel and makes it through the night only to endure the same thing uh, the next day. Only in this case, he gets to do it with uh, some very legalistic uh, uh, Jews and some horrible people, the Romans. And now we get to see Jesus die only in a different context. And we get to see these people clamoring for his death, crying for him to die. They, they had options. They could have, uh, uh, Pilate said, hey, do you want, want me to release to you uh, Jesus or Barabbas? And they said, no, release to us Barabbas. And Barabbas was a horrible man. Um, they wanted him instead of Christ. And uh, it's appalling to think that God's own people would uh, actually have the choice and, and, and turn Jesus down. But it, a lot of these things are just, they, are, they expose things from a great controversy perspective. Um, and you get to see how God's involved and uh, how the people were involved. And the people had such a horrible legalistic picture of God and they were the ones that actually uh, put, put Jesus on the cross. Um, anyway, seeing all these things, we get to see these answers, uh, or these, these questions answered. Um, I guess really from the beginning, when God said, the day you eat of this, um, or the day you reject me, um, you're going to die. But it was never, ever really explained. And Jesus had to come himself to um, make that plain. Well, you do a pretty good job of taking us through all the major figures in in Genesis. You know, um, Cain, Noah, Abraham, Moses. Um, does this this is all part of the story that's being told to us or shown to us about God, how God travels us through history, continuing continuing to change the discipline or continuing to teach uh, with a firm discipline. Uh, with a setting of rules, uh, trying in some way to teach us to to turn back to him and stop being, you know, re- rejecting him. Well, we definitely have rebelled all the way from the beginning. Um, and I think that was the, uh, the original sin, was believing Satan's lie. Uh, Satan said, if you... Um, um, well, God said, if you sin, you'll die. And, and Satan said, no, you'll be better off. And they bought the lie. And they, they, the lie they bought was that God can't be trusted. He should be feared. And we see this fear within us all the time. Uh, now we call it the survival of the fittest. We, we, we don't, or don't think we can depend on God to take care of us, so we have to do it ourselves. And it comes out as us, um, you know, being competitive, uh, putting other people down um, to the point where we we kill to survive. And you can see that this disease really is in the Israelites all the way through. And they they fear God. They they don't love him. And in a, a million different ways, God is trying to show them that he can be trusted. He can be depended on. 
that he does love them, but they fear him. And they're, it seems like they're always running away and always running away. And if you're God, what do you do? You want people to love and trust you. And yet they are bent on leaving you. They're bent on going their own way. And, and really that's what we see throughout the Bible and throughout history is uh, we bought the lie that God can't be trusted. He's scary. And uh, we, we run away. That you have a, a beautiful paragraph that you wrote about um, in the great controversy view uh, in the light of all these circumstances, God would be seen crying. Why should you die? How can I let you go? How can I give you up? How often I have longed to gather you together, but you were not willing. So what else can God do? He has given us the freedom of choice and choices have consequences uh they do i wish i could say i wrote that but i didn't that's did. uh <laughs> that's <laughs> well it's actually taken from <clears throat> hosea and amos um in the old testament where god is uh saying israel i have done everything i can for you what else can i do and uh as a nation there was nothing more he could do uh and that's Twice he abandoned uh, Israel. Uh, uh, Israel was split into a northern northern ten tribes and a southern two tribes. And he worked, once they split after uh, Solomon's reign, um, he worked with both of them on their own. But eventually the northern ten tribes abandoned them. They uh, worshipped uh, golden calves, the calf of Samaria. And there was nothing more he could do. He really wants to tell the whole world. He wanted to use Israel to tell the whole world about him and about his love for the world and the salvation that he offers. But they wouldn't have it. Uh, and eventually he uh, could do more, no more. And, and when they rejected him, in a sense, he rejected them and stopped protecting them. And Assyria uh, came in and... and took them over. It was horrible. Um, they were scattered, uh, and the northern ten tribes were basically lost. About a hundred mm. years later, same thing happened with uh, Judah uh, down below, down in the, the southern two tribes, only they were taken captive by Babylon. Chris, whenever we get into these these topics of the end times, war in heaven, the book of Revelation, it appears so bleak, in, at least in casual conversation. How can we ever measure up to God's you know, standards? What can we do? I mean, I notice that you offer some suggestions like healing, faith, belief, and trust. But how do we develop those aspects in ourselves? Well, I, I think the... The first one is to know that uh, Jesus' death wasn't designed to appease God. He loves us already. Uh, Jesus said in, in Matthew 15, um, I no longer call you servants. Um, I call you my friends because I tell my friends what's going on. In another place, he says uh, uh, in John 16, I, I won't pray for you. you know, we think of Jesus as our our intercessor, and in a sense he does. But he says, I'm not going to pray uh, the Father for you. I'm not going to intercede with the Father for you because the Father loves you already. Now, what he does, he might be fending off 
Satan or protecting us from some of our own bad choices. But uh, as far as our relationship between us and God go, it's good. Uh, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And there's been nobody ever as loving as Jesus. And if we can accept that, knowing that God is really as loving as Jesus, and he loves you and I just as much as Jesus, there's really nothing, nothing to fear. In fact, sin is rebelling. Sin is, is um, rejecting God. And what he really wants is this love and trust, which is the polar opposite. Accepting him, believing he is who he is, um, that's the peace that passes understanding, and that's what he offers for each one of us. Well, you also, you, you've said it a couple of times now, you talk about knowing God, and, can, and, and it's a special kind of relationship. Can you explain a little bit more about what that is? Um, sure. You know, in the beginning, God said that Adam and Eve uh, uh, knew each other, and then they had a baby. Um, so it's a very intimate relationship. And if you look at the word as it's used uh, throughout the Bible, but especially uh, how Jesus used it, knowing him, knowing him in an intimate, special, friendly way is what he's always wanted. It's just that we bought the devil's lie, thought he's scary, thought he was not somebody to trust and depend on. And when that's fixed, when you change your mind about God, uh, it's called faith or trust um, in other contexts. But um, that relationship is what God's always wanted. And when you have that, you have everything. And so uh, knowing God, Jesus said, if this is life eternal, that you might know me and Jesus Christ whom I sent. Uh, knowing God is everything. That's what he's always wanted. And is that the kind of relationship God had with Paul that he describes in his letters to the Christian communities? Um, yes, uh, not, that wasn't the relationship Paul had at first. Um, remember, he got um, knocked off his horse, um, and it took him a few years to kind of think things through, but eventually, once he became the Apostle Paul, yep, that's the relationship he had. Um, it's about love, trust, and, and uh, genuine faith. That's what Paul had. Well, you you include a few chapters that describe an exceptional depth of belief. Uh, Peter walking on the water until he takes his eyes off Jesus and sees the waves and loses his belief. Uh, fiery furnaces for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, the tortures of the early disciples, including Paul. Uh, they, that, you know, does history repeat itself? Do we have enough love and trust in God when we're confronted with horrors like those? Can we stand in our faith in the unseen rather than the seen? Well, absolutely. It's, um, it, it's interesting. I, I think you can have a relationship as close as any relationship you can have on earth, uh, even, even your spouse. And you know, uh, as you talk to your spouse, you, you learn to love your spouse, uh, you'll do anything for them. Um, now, they usually don't ask you to do anything crazy, right? But uh, for the for the most part, anytime they need you, you will do anything you can to uh, defend them. And uh, when God uh, does the same for us, it's it's reciprocal. And I, I think just out of love, we we have those reactions. Um, we would 
um, hopefully all of us, uh, you and I, if if need be, uh, we would do anything we could to make the other other party look good. We lo- we want God to uh, look good. We don't want him misrepresented. And so if that puts us in a hard spot, it may look like we're, uh, you know, asking for trouble, uh, like Paul or uh, the, the three, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. But it's just the response of love, and I think we would do it for anybody who loved. Now, personally, as I look around, I find that, that we're facing similar kinds of situations or questions. You know, are we, are, do we need to deny the existence of God to get along? Do we, do we lose faith or do we impose our own self-will and do our thing rather than working with God? You know, what, what is the remedy to this? Well, I, I, there's no easy remedy. I, I think it's, honestly, for me, it was reading the Bible and searching for understanding, making sure that it all made sense, trying to put all the pieces together. And in doing so, you, you, you find that uh, what you've always have longed for is actually right there, and you commune with God as you read, you go outside and you uh, you look at the ocean or the Grand Canyon or Crater Lake. You you see what he's made and it's astounding. And um, I don't I can't explain it. I just know that uh, there's a love that wells up in your heart that's just hard to uh, hard to put down and hard to express. But it's there. Um, it's undeniable. Do you have a last message for people who are going to be reading your book? Well, I've thought about a last message, but I'd like to put maybe a few more things together. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, first off, one of the reasons why uh, there's so many churches and different pictures of God is many churches have missed the overall context of the Bible. And that really is a war, a world universe-wide war, war over God's character and some of the things that he has said, like one, uh, sin, um, sin causes death. But two, um, <clears throat> with that in mind, Jesus' death was not like a pagan sacrifice, appeasing an offended deity. Sometimes we use these uh, short little, um, little verses or uh, summaries, like Jesus died for you, without giving the context. And I think uh, not having the context, we we uh, misunderstand what's uh, being done. Um, <clears throat> Jesus Jesus wrath as it's uh, or God's wrath as it's uh, expressed in the Bible is really just Him um, letting the natural consequences um, happen, and that the the flames and the fire that are misunderstood are really just His His glory and the brilliance that comes with His presence. <laughs> And so I think that's all just misunderstood. Um, a couple other things. Force produces fear, and fear produces rebellion. And I think uh, Christianity has tried to uh, get past that. Um, and in doing so, they've, they've misunderstood why Jesus had to die. And then I guess last, um, anything short of a, a personal, practical, 
trusting relationship uh, with God is just destined to fail. Uh, legalism will not work. Uh, doing things uh, because you think you have to uh, won't work. Uh, love's the only thing that works. So, uh, Chris, where do people find your book? Um, it's on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can also get it from Lulu. Um, there's probably several different uh, vendors you can get it from. Just um, Google, Why Did Jesus Have to Die, and Chris Conrad, and it should come up in several different ways. I love that. So I appreciate your time uh, spending you know, some good portion of your, your Saturday morning with us. Uh, your book certainly raised several questions for me that made me think and look at look a little more seriously at some things that just I just take for granted and don't didn't really you know go into any great depth about it I'd also like okay. to thank our listeners for joining us today we we've been talking with Chris Conrad about his book why did Jesus have to die it's not what you think it's available at Amazon and other online uh, sellers like Lulu remember we support the work of authors when we buy their books recommend them or give copies of their books to others. You can also support the work of this program at the anchor.fm podcast site, Train Your Brain, Claim Your Power. You can like us, follow us, subscribe, or become a sponsor. If you'd like to stay connected with our community of authors, email Susan at susanshireko.com and ask to subscribe. Thank you for letting us give authors a voice today. And thanks again for being with us, Chris. Uh, Thank you. This has been real fun. Good. I'm glad you had a good time. Once again, it's time to go, everyone. Bye for now, and have a great day. Thank you very much for tuning in today. If you've been inspired by this show, leave a rating or review on iTunes and visit www.rainbowsoverruins.com to receive a free chapter from Susan's book. On behalf of Susan Shireko, this has been Rebuilding Your Life, Moving from Disaster to Prosperity, sharing the journeys of those affected by sudden and great loss and what they did to heal, rebuild, and where they are now.